Scuba Obsessed, a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 381 is recorded live September 13th, 2018. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. This is uh, Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Oh, I think I'm doing pretty good. It's been about a month since I've been on. It has been a couple episodes, but, uh, you know, glad you can join us. Uh, you know, anytime we get to talk scuba diving is better than not talking about scuba diving, unless we're diving, that is. And also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing very good. Thank you, Darren. And how are you? I'm doing good. Now that I'm back in town, I was traveling for work, and it's good to be back at the homestead where we still have some nice weather. It won't be too long, and we'll start seeing some of that white stuff flowing. Sure. In. Yeah. It's your time. Yeah, I know. I... Well, it is the middle of September, so yeah, within the next six weeks. Yep. So I'm hoping that we can stall it out for at least eight weeks or so, but I wouldn't count on it. We could. I mean, we've had snow hit the ground before. Not that stick that stuck long, but uh, that kind of seems to be that just that week before Halloween where it can happen. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have uh, Derek who's joined us, so thank you for that. And also like to thank everybody who's been downloading the podcast. You're certainly appreciated. And I think we probably have everything under control. There are a couple episodes this season that are missing. I discovered another one where I only had half the audio for one side, so that will be a lost episode, uh, which is very annoying. So hopefully I've, I've figured it out, but it's just one of those things where the gauges all show it's recording, it looks like it's recording, and then it when you go to edit, it only had half a, half the audio. It doesn't matter. I, I run it. I've done it on both Macs and PCs, and it just seems to be occasionally a driver will hang up, and you're just stuck. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. This is a short news week, so the first one we have up is a. Uh, this one's out of Ontario. It says a trailer scuba tank stolen, and it could pose a health hazard. A Roslyn Road business has reported a theft of a trailer and 15 scuba tanks. City police responded to the reported theft on Tuesday around 10 a.m. and were told that a uh, 2015 enclosed, this says two behind trailer, but I think they mean tow behind trailer, uh, was missing and 15 scuba tanks that were inside the trailer. The trailer, con- the tanks contained compressed oxygen and could pose a public safety risk and be an explosive hazard if mishandled, according to the complainant. In this case, do we think that they really mean compressed oxygen? There might be some in there, depending on who it was, what they were doing. Now, I'm, I, at first, I would poo-poo it, but then 15 tanks, that's not your average everyday diver who has that many. So it, it would make sense that maybe it was a dive shop's uh, trailer that they hauled around or just a very hardcore deco diver, in which case it could be oxygen. I'm confused when there are people reading it. 
And this is Thunder Bay, Ontario. How how far away is that? Is that? Uh... Uh, I want to say the upper side of Lake Superior. Okay. And then the next one, we're, we'll jump to it. I didn't make the show notes because I couldn't find a good article, but Mac found this one for me. And a massive floating boom is supposed to clean up the Pacific. And the question is, can it work? This one's out of the out of NPR. It says, uh, we humans have deposited a huge amount of plastic in the Earth's waters. There are now five garbage-filled uh, gyres in the world's ocean, the largest and most notorious being the Great Pacific Garbage Patch with an estimated 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic spread across an area twice the size of Texas. One of the people trying to figure out how to clean it is Boyan Slat, a 24-year-old Dutch social entrepreneur, has been working to invent a solution since he was 17. His idea for a great floating system with a corral, the plastic, so it can be scooped out, is on the verge of reality. He founded a nonprofit called The Ocean Cleanup and picked a major environmental award in the United Nations along the way. Tech investors, including Peter Thiel and Mark Benioff, got behind his big, his go big ethos and reported $35 million in total has been raised. On Saturday, a vessel that usually tows oil rigs instead towed Slatch giant garbage collector 300 miles offshore from San Francisco for two weeks. Engineers will monitor how the system handles the battering waves in the Pacific before towing it 1,100 more miles to the patch. The system's centerpiece is a nearly 2,000 foot-long plastic tube with 10-foot skirt attached beneath, forming a U-shaped barrier designed to propel, be propelled by the wind and waves. The aim is to collect plastic as it floats, and then every few months a support vessel would come by to retrieve the plastic, like an ocean, oceanic garbage truck. The plastic would then be transported to the land for recycling. If it works, Ocean Cleanup plans to deploy a fleet of 60 such devices, which the group's projects could remove half the plastic in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. In five years' time, but currently uh, Slat doesn't know if it will work. His team has changed the concept over time, switching from a moored system to a drifting one in order to act more like a plastic that it's trying to catch. They tested a prototype in the North Sea, but said the Pacific will be the real challenge. We believe that every risk that we can eliminate in advance has been able to be eliminated. It doesn't mean that all risks have been eliminated. Truly, the only way to prove it can get rid of the ocean's plastic is to actually go there and deploy the world's first ocean cleaning system. The ocean cleanup hopes to reduce the amount of plastic in the world's ocean by at least 90% by 2040, but but uh, experts on plastic pollution have expressed concerns about whether the project will be effective. And they have cited things, uh, most plastic ends up in the ocean, doesn't end, in, end up in the garbage gyres. Based on the latest math, we think that there is 8 million metric tons of plastic flowing into the ocean, land around the world. This according to George Linnard, chief scientist at Ocean Conservancy. He says that only around 3 to 5% of the total number of plastic actually winds up in the gyres. If you want to clean the ocean, it may be, in fact, be that the open oceans is not the place to look. Part of the issue is not all plastic is buoyant. A lot of it sinks immediately and thus won't be captured by this floating boom, says Eben Schwartz, marine debris program manager for the California Coastal Commission. It'd be wonderful to clean up the surface of the gyre, but so much more trash in the ocean actually doesn't end up on the surface. It's even more critical that we address where it's coming from and how to stop it at source. And then there's the question that project might cause unintended environmental consequences. Specifically, can you capture plastic without ensnaring marine life? We know from the fishing industry they put any structure in the open ocean will attract a whole community of animals, both large and small, to that 
particular piece of structure. Fishermen sometimes create a fish aggregate devices, fads, that intentionally create little floating ecosystems to attack track fish. There's a worry that this could become a very large fad and attract a whole number of larger fish and marine mammals, seabirds that might be impacted by it. Plus, the ocean's cleanup system is made of high-density polyethylene, a kind of plastic, so what happens if it becomes part of the problem it's trying to solve? I sort of wonder what kind of microplastics this thing is going to be generating on its own. And then and then she goes on. Some of this sounds a little bit like sour grapes. And when you go a little bit further in the article, you can see why, because some of them are expressing concern that uh, it's getting uh, nonprofit funding that they could get. So been tracking we, that for years. Remember when he first started out, we said, let's see what he winds up doing. And he has persevered and he has got the support. Yeah. And I agree with you. This sounds like a little bit sour grapes. It's like, He's doing something, and yeah. they're watching it. And if it's a problem, he'll remove that part. Right. And and this is a problem that needs right. to be uh, tackled from different angles. I mean, first thing is just to not get it you know, out there in the first place. But there's always going to be some amount, no matter how hard you try. So why not have a system that can, that can help clean it up? Uh, yeah, because we followed him, I think, almost right from the beginning. So he's 17. He was uh, 24 now, so... It's been about seven years. Back, you'll hear us talking about it. Uh, I've looked at that. I've looked at the prototype and some of the, the work they've been doing. Mm-hmm. It's been working within certain parameters, which is better than nothing. Right. Well, and that's what it is, especially if he's playing and doing as many as they are. What I would say, and the, the approach that they seem to be doing is it seems to be scientific. They, they try out uh, smaller scale and pieces and models, and, and they've already adapted and changed it quite a bit. Uh, and let's see, how many did they say they, he wanted to make? Like 60 of them? That, I'm scrolling through. The yeah. place. And yeah. if you're talking surface, at least it's a start. Yeah, but then when they said it, that, it, go ahead. It would be interesting to see if you do get a following, because when you do put objects out there, you do have a group that actually does do that. But uh, my understanding, the, the debris field that it will capture goes down, what, like five feet, five to eight feet? Yeah. yeah I don't think Tangled not be an issue. No. No, it's not like it's a net. It's, you know, they can swim down or blow or around. Uh, and would they prefer the plastic just be left out there? I, so we'll keep an eye on this. Hopefully we get some updates. Anything they can pick up is better than nothing. Yeah. Boo to the naysayers. Give them a shot. Yep. I agree. And then I don't even know how to pronounce this website, so I won't. <laughs> but the scuba diving is to be the Chinese tourism's next success. And uh, the the sentence structure of this article feels very much like somebody put some Chinese into Google and it came out in English. Uh, but uh, so instead, well, maybe maybe I should read it. Maybe it'll, it'll be funny if I do. So uh, let's see. This is, go ahead. In Chinese? No, I did you. Now that would be funny, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I think somebody would accuse me of being racist because uh, everything I would say would sound like uh, something from a 1950s cartoon. So, um, But they say the cultural history of China is what draws most people to the country with the Great Wall and Forbidden City, just one of the countless on-land attractions. However, every culturally-minded traveler are intrigued by the new burgeoning scuba diving industry. And uh, let's see, this is a town name, Hibai, and its 350 square mile or meter catacombs 
give way to the Great Wall meets the ocean with sections underwater providing an intriguing past. What's more, Chinese firms are moving into markets abroad to spread the message. March 2018 brought the news that one firm had invested uh, $490 million, and it's uh, CNY, I'm not sure what currency that is, in the Philippine diving industry. Yen. That? Is that yen, Chinese yen? Yeah, that might be. Between this increased increased positivity towards the market, improving global standards for scuba diver, it's arguable that Chinese tourism will benefit massively from it for over the next few years. Scuba diving, like any physical activity, has inherent safety risks that need to be assessed and training given to minimize. A recent study published by Frontiers in Psychology made the recommendation that a safety of culture be introduced so standards across the globe diving scenes can be improved and headlines concerning divers' safety be reduced. Schools are now available in China with the hope of intrepid divers scouting out new locations. It has been noted that there are numerous virgin diving sites in China that require scouting. The cumulative effect is that arguably safety is much improved for diving in China and facilitating the expansion of the industry into new exciting areas. According to travel consultants Paddy, which I didn't realize they were travel consultants, much of the South China coast is currently reserved for fishing, meaning that it's not a key area for divers. As a result, many are looking much closer to the shore and inland entirely. The benefits of this is cultural artifacts are being brought up from complete obscurity. Take, for example, recently unearthed 1,300-year-old Lion City submerged beneath a lake in Zhenyang province. Curiously, the city had been inhabited until 1951 when engineers projects required it to be flooded. As such, it became somewhat of a cultural icon as diving clubs explore the decade-old homes and infrastructure of the city. And then they go on and talk a little bit more about it. Uh, but China does seem to be, from a market standpoint, growing. And uh, as they start to develop uh, a middle class, they have a lot of people to join that middle class and hopefully eventually become scuba divers. Most people don't realize how advanced China actually is. I mean, they have a tremendous automotive industry. Oh, yeah. Very pleased if you could sell your cars, Japanese and Germans, and nobody sells them here. And their aircraft industry is just taking off, especially light sport and light mm-hmm. aircraft now. Yeah. They've opened that up to their own people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what many people don't realize is, like we talked about, you talked about aircraft, but even the space industry. China, to date, has launched as many rockets as the United States in the last in the last year. That includes SpaceX and United Launch and everybody all together. That's what China's done this year. So they've they've got a lot of resources, a lot of people. Uh, what they still have to address is just the disparity, uh, which we have some too. But they've got vast quantities of the population that are still uh, very low income. So that that will that will catch up. You know, we're we're already seeing some of the industries there looking for other locations to help produce because uh, you know as they as their cost uh, the, I don't say cost of living, but as their standard of living increases so long, does their pay? You look at their big cities like Beijing, and then you go to the the outlying districts, and it's night and day. Yes. Yeah, the, the big the cities. National bird, Go ahead. In, in Beijing, they yeah. said the national bird was the crane, and they didn't mean the bird of the crane. They meant cranes because of the buildings they were building. Yeah, how many how many cranes they've got. And and they, they're building on a massive scale. 
infrastructure-wise, uh, I think they're more modern than us in many of the cities. I mean, the, the it, and some of that comes just from fresh building. I mean, when you've taken plots of land that haven't had anything going on, and then you build it all new using modern technologies, uh, like a, atomic energy, uh, they're bringing like a an atomic plant online every so many weeks now, and they're 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 ordering one of each from just about all the companies, and you bet that. Uh, they're going to take the best of what they got and build it themselves. Reverse engineer, and they've got tremendous amounts of solar power. Now, still, if you look at how much they need and how much they're developing, it, it's still way, way down. But uh, they're going great lengths to get. Yep. Well, let's take a look at this next uh, story, which talks about West Virginia has said that uh, Summersville's lake is the clearest in the east. And uh, this is on the website PolitiFact. You said untrue? (laughs) No, I said dive trip. Oh, dive trip. Yeah, it says uh, on August 17th, uh, Justice, which is Jim Justice, uh, according to Scuba Divers, Somerville Lake is the clearest freshwater lake east of the Mississippi River. This led to earning its name as the Little Bahamas of the East. Check it out yourself today. And scuba's capitalized. Oh, yeah, we know why it's capitalized. Uh, and this was something that uh, the governor, Jim Justice, had tweeted. Uh, Somerville's Lake is a man-made lake in the southern part of West Virginia. Huntington District of the U.S. Corps of Armed Engineers created the lake in the 1960. Uh, Justice tweet links to an article on westernvirginiatourism.com published by the West Virginia Tourism Office and agency in the West Virginia Department of Commerce, the article describes the lake is great for swimming, boating, and underwater exploration. The destination has dive sites where rock formations can be seen 100 feet underwater. However, Western Vision, uh, Western Vision, Western Virginia Tourism article did not offer a specific source for the claim. Uh, the news site contacted the office, and they did not respond. When we reached out to the U.S. Army, Army Corps of Engineers Huntington District, Toby Woods, project manager for Somersville Lake, said the label Little Bahamas of the East originated with a scuba magazine. We consider the claim to fame, and we repeat it often, Woods said. In Google searches, we found references to the nickname that attributed to Skin Diver magazine, but did not locate the original article. More broadly, however, Wood has no way of knowing if the lake is, in fact, the clearest freshwater lake east of the Mississippi River. Uh... The new the website reached out to Peter Oliver, editor-in-chief of the National Association of Underwater Instructors magazine, sources, and he said from his experience, Summersville Lake has the same color as most lakes and reservoirs. You'd be okay, I think, to call Summerville one of the clearest, but that green tint common to almost all freshwater lakes and reservoirs. The water in the Florida spring system is what we usually call gin clear, since the water does not stand in small lakes but flows out and stays clear, Oliver said. Meanwhile, Christine McCrennan of American Water Resource Association told PolitiFact that her organization does not track information about the clarity of lakes. So PolitiFact has ruled uh, that the tweet is untrue or, or mostly false. So, Looks good from here. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to dive it. But I do think, uh, isn't there a lake up north that also people claim is the same? I feel like we talked about that just a few weeks ago. Crystal Lake is pretty clear. Yeah, maybe that was the one. So, yeah, like Jim, I think a road trip is there. We need, we need some people to sponsor this, you know, yeah. our road trips. Yeah. 
uh, send a letter to Governor Justice and tell him we'll uh, we'll validate it for him if he's willing to fund the trip. Yeah, we could we could come up with uh, plenty of ways to scientifically measure. Maybe we could have somebody you know as a nominator, like you know, as the clearest, and then of course we could we could be the judges. Mm-hmm. We'd get a lot of hate mail though. Ah, I can, I can handle that. Everybody hate mail. would say theirs is better. I don't know. There's not. I like like we'll you're be not, neutral judges. Yeah, because you're not going to hear me go. Singer Lake is the clearest lake. <laughs> I don't even think now, I would. It, it, if they pay our expenses, put us up in a motel, provide us with some cameras so that we can photograph the lake. That will give us our immediate documentation, and back and, and make an honest judgment of what's the clearest course. The motels they put us up in would not have any impact at all on our decision, but yeah, yeah, it, you know, that's that's their option. They <laughs> could put us up in the flea bag, or they could put us up in the Ritz Carlton, and that would, would not impact our decision at all. No. So, if you want to donate directly, you can head on over to www.scubaobsessed.com. We certainly could use your your support, and I mean, who knows? Maybe if we get enough money, we could be diving at a lake near you. Uh, Road trip. From that, yeah, from that perspective, though, do you realize that the cleaner and clearer a lake is, the less fishing you have there? The, the more dead it is. Dead? It's like uh, I was reading an article on Lake Michigan, for example, and one of the adverse effects of a zebra mussel. By the way, do you know how much a zebra, a single zebra mussel can filter in one in one day? Uh, I, I know I have in the past, but I, I can't remember right now. One liter a day or more. Yeah. And the last count for the quagga mussels out there, 5,000 zebra or quagga mussels per square meter Yeah, times well, one liter a day. Yeah, No wonder we have clear water. And from a result of that, our fishing aspects and our, our breeding of new fish has cut down dramatically because it's harder for them to hide in. Yeah, it, it's, it's certainly clearing tons of... Uh nutrients and suspended particulate in the water up. But yeah, you'd think we would find with the water being clearer, you'd think we'd find more fish hiding around the wrecks and that has not been the case. You'll notice you see lots of fish around the piers where you've got all the riprap because mm-hmm. you've got some well, they got places to go. they got little little caves to go into. We've been out there and I've got 20 foot visibility off the piers, which is not too shabby. Game fish normally shallow. They're always deeper. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, for one, am enjoying the, being able to see. Now, what do we think so, it was like before, you know, let, let's say back in the 1600s in the Great Lakes? Wouldn't it have been clear like it is now? A different type of clear. You wouldn't have the phosphorus. You wouldn't have the runoff from the farmer fields, nor the industry polluting it. You know, you'd have your silt buildups. You'd have waste from, you know, natural forest products feeding into it, but it wouldn't be anything like it is now from the aspect of being chemically polluted. Right. And that would be more of the, uh, you know, post-rain types of runoff, or if you happen to have a natural forest fire, and the next rain puts a lot of ash in the water. But, yeah, I I, I am in favor of the, the extra visibility. Not that I think we, it was, a, zebra mussels were a great thing for the ecology, but at least there is one benefit. 
And then uh, park officials seem to be a little worked up. There's a Friday the 13th statue, skeletons under Lake Pleasant, and uh, it seems like they have to go. For the last several months, members of the local scuba diving group have been putting a variety of large, unusual items in the bottom of Lake Pleasant that are used during dives. The items include prop skeletons, a Jason Voorhees statue, Christmas trees, a poker table, even a Volkswagen, according to members of the group. The Voorhees statue, an eerie replica of the hockey mask Friday the 13th antagonist, recently raised eyebrows and garnered attention on social media and in the Amazon, I say Amazon, Arizona Reddit community. Uh, Zachary Nagy, a diver and member of the Public Arizona Scuba Divers Facebook group, said the unusual items are typically used as underwater markers by divers and are treated as personal projects. Almost everyone who dives at Lake Pleasant knows about it, he said. Maricopa County Park officials who oversee the popular lake northwest of Phoenix apparently didn't. After recently viewing the Reddit thread and a YouTube video, a couple divers interacting with the statue, Park officials are working to retrieve the likeness of the movie murderer, possibly other items placed underwater by members of the diving group. We really have to be mindful and respectful of nature, said Dave Jordan, Lake Pleasant Regional Park Supervisor. That's one of the biggest things. Uh, what do you mean by respectful? They didn't get their permission. I mean, you got a, you got a bureaucracy, and uh, somebody probably up at the top said, hey, what the heck, why, why are you letting these people put that crap down there? And, uh, you know, now they have to, whether they knew about it or not, act upset and try and deal with it. So now, now imagine this dive club who is putting objects to, and we, and we see a lot of those around here. Uh, it's nice when you're out diving to have something to see, it marks a location. Uh, but three now, of us here, not, who among us three do not like to go to Ross Township and see all the paraphernalia out there? Well, how many... I would say we dive that twice as often as we would have otherwise because those objects That's, are out there. I, I would say that there's out of that whole lake and all the parks and all the places you can gain access, the dive trail is probably dove more than all the other access points put together. Yeah. Second most is the other one that has the items marked out for compass courses and what have you. Yeah. Like, why do we go out to Lake 16? Yeah, Stuff you, on the bottom. Exactly. You got, I mean, cars and motorcycles and you know, bodies and skeletons and boats. Yeah. We, what would you go out there for? It's dark, cold, and duck. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it silts up real easy. There's not, it's not a whole lot of redeeming features of the bottom of that lake to dive. It's one of those things you could dive it once in her career and go, oh, I've, I've been there, done that. But now with things to dive in it, it's a great blow-off location. You get blown off of Lake Michigan, you can always go to Lake 16. So this, the rest of the articles, people going on and on about it. Uh, the divers are trying to explain why it's good. The park officials are trying to say why it's bad. Is the whole lake in a park area? Uh, what I mean, a lot of places have a section of it where they got the public beach, blah, blah. Yeah, let, let's see if we can... The Maricopa County Parks officials who oversee Popular Lake. Yeah, I'm, it's it's not clear. I'm I'm going to guess that I don't know. Maybe somebody out there in the, the area. Whole, if they had the whole lake, that's part of their park. I can understand how they want to control it. Otherwise, they're going to have a hard time controlling it. Yeah. Uh, 
Dewana Taylor, a spokesman for the Maricopa Park, County Parks and Recreation Department, said on te- September 6th when contacted by the Arizona Republic that she hadn't heard anything about the statue, even though it's been likely been underwater for months. But Monday, Jordan said the agency had responded to the footage of the sunken statue and called it disheartening. I was a little surprised to see th- something of that nature, Jordan said. There's always a little bit of humor behind it, but at the same time, we're very much concerned about it trying to maintain clear, clean facilities for people to enjoy. Lake Pleasant Regional Parks and Maricopa County Water District on an, ah, there's the part right there, Mac. County Water District. Is this a drinking water lake? Uh, if it's on, in Arizona, probably. Yeah. Maricopa County. Yep. Uh, on an unspecified date, we'll be sending divers to retrieve the varied assortment of items, which park officials consider to be litter and trash. What are the penalties? The specific fees and repercussions for things of this nature vary by situation. Mostly it depends on whether offenders are caught in the act or how egregious the offense is. Anyone caught violating Maricopa County Park's littering rule, which includes the act of depositing or abandoning garbage, sewage, refuse, trash, waste, or other obnoxious material, except in receptacles and containers provided by such purposes, could be guilty of class two misdemeanor or evicted from the park, according to the county park website. Jordan said his department tries the best to patrol for littering with the resources they have available, but there's a lot of ground to cover. The size of the lake can fluctuate from 3,500 acres to about 10,000 acres. Yeah, the only way that's changing that much in size is because they are using it for drinking water as a reservoir. He said crews around the shoreline are trying to pick up trash, but it's a lot more complicated when you start talking about underwater stuff because it's not as easily seen, and it's one of the things you've got to really keep an eye on. Well, it's unclear as to when divers can be sent to find the Voorhees statue. Specifically, Tyler said there'll be a Lake Pleasant cleanup held at National Public Land Day, September 22nd. She said the cleanup will involve underwater scuba cleanup. Okay. Now, what's who wants to bet that that statue has already moved? soon as anybody said anything about picking it up, I guarantee there's already been a group out there who has moved it to a location that isn't yeah. known by yes, moved it to, a, yeah, to another location. Yeah, yeah, because this is, yeah, it's, this, this is no way. 70 foot of water. Yeah. 70 foot of water. How much time are they going to spend going down in zero viz looking for it? Well, and then who are they going to send to go and get it? So, you know, they're obviously not going to, you know, it's now become government versus citizens. So you're not going to have this government group. What they'll probably do is try and find some agency, you know, have to pay for them to come down to go out there to go look for it. And if it's been moved, you know, the the chances of them so finding it are big to go out there. They get paid to bring it all in. And then on the backside, you sell it back to the other people and yeah. then replant it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you're thinking. Oh. Did I? Yeah. They, yeah, they said this isn't the first time for Voorhees and skeletons. A Phoenix couple in 2015 claimed responsibility for placing fake skeletons at the bottom of the Colorado River. No charges were filed, and the La Paz County Chief's Department's allowed the props remain unless federal agencies have issues. And I remember when we covered that article, and I think that was appropriate. Uh and then I said, "You're going out to deceive people and make it think it's a real skeleton." Probably correct, but when we go out to the places we go to, you're looking for them because they're part of your compass course. Yes, correct. You know they're there. You're not going to be scared of them. Yeah, bodies. 
That'll be interesting. I, I my my prediction: they never get it. Then here we have an article from India. It says soon you can scuba dive and enjoy underwater heritage of Ujjani Dam. When the dam was built in 1969, little was thought or given to the heritage that constructs in the villages that were to be submerged, prized among which was a temple estimated to have been set up between 9th and 11th century A.D. Now, almost half a century later, the government has woken up the tourism potential of the area, holds and tries to develop the, spar- the spot on the lines of underwater tours guided to visit the ancient city of Dwarka off the coast of what was that, Gujarat. Last week, in the behest of the state tourism department, the irrigation department decided to hand over 10 acres of land on the bank, about 80 miles from Poon, for this purpose, besides the underwater relics, the tourists will be treated to the site of scores of migratory birds that flock to the area, particularly in uh, Bhagwan. We have pursued the Water Resource Department in the past two years to give us the land and build a tourist center. Finally, they have given their consent, and the land near Indapur should be available for development shortly. The center will have all facilities for sightseeing, while scuba diving and boating will be at the heart of the initiative and are expected to be the biggest draws. Look at those spot on a boat. Yeah. I, a, I think it'd be cool. I mean, if you got it, why not use it? I'd dive Springs there. Springs in Florida. They had all the movie sets underwater for a lot of different. Wh- which springs was this in Florida? River Springs in Florida. Okay. We started a lot of places with the glass bottom boats. That's where they have the mermaids. Uh-huh. If you go there and look, you'll see a lot of different sets underwater that they use for filming movies. Okay. I would pay to go dive in that place. Yeah, I'd certainly. Had a good park, and you had amusement, not amusement to, to ride, but scenery and a good line to go. People would pay good money to go out there and look at stuff, especially if it was up, you know, kept up. Don't think about Bilboa Quarry. You know, it's a quarry. It's a flooded quarry. That's not you, the only flooded quarry around, but Bilboa is the one that gets the most attention because they promoted it for diving. They've put things in there to interest divers and... You know, it, it's known for its training and diving capabilities because there's things to see and things to do versus just swimming around and looking at rock. If you're going to take a picture and you're going to take a picture of you geeking from a school bus on water or a jet or a helicopter or a dumb truck, come on, who's not going to do that? No, I agree. I I certainly, you know, the, the more you can give me the dive on, the, the happier I am. Is that also the same place you got that like little tunnel you can go through and come up in a different area? So you got a not totally enclosed space per se, but it gives you more different activities. Is that a different one of the different quarries we had? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, White Star. Oh, yeah. The Rock Crusher, White Star. Yeah, White Star's right. got the, the Rock Crusher and kind of the ladders down there in the middle. And then you've got uh, over in Illinois, there's that quarry. Uh, don't start with an H. Oh, why am I so bad? Hague. Hague, yeah, Hague Quarry. Hague. Yeah, and that's got some boats and uh, different structures. And then you've also Frank, got France Park. Park, right? Yeah, somebody just, uh, there's a, a, a Facebook group, uh, Indiana Divers, and they posted a photo of that France Park when it was actually operating, you know, where there was no water in it, and you could see they had the rail line down and it must have been done just before they closed it, because I swear that the the bottom the that photo they took is just exactly what the bottom looks like now. That's also the one that's got freshwater jellyfish, isn't it? 
I haven't seen it, but yeah, they, they do. But it does have paddlefish. Which are awesome if you've never seen a paddlefish with its mouth open coming at you. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's just eating uh, little tiny creatures, it looks like it could swallow you whole. This next article we have is a World War II shipwreck found in the seas north of Denmark. The wreckage of the German transport vessel MS Pioneer has been found in was that uh, Skagerrak? S K A G E R R A K. Correct. Was it Skagerrak? Sea north of Denmark. <laughs> it's in the water. <laughs> following or north of Denmark. Yeah, north of Denmark. Following a long search, discovery of the ship. One of the most highly sought wreckages in the region was announced by the Sea War Museum Jutland in a press release on Thursday. MS Pioneer was sunk on September 2nd, 1940. Danish and international divers have been carefully searching for the wreck for decades. It was found to be at a depth of 580 feet and a significant distance further east than previously thought, reports the local Denmark, which is, must be a newspaper. For us, this is one of the better-known shipwrecks, and there has been a lot of mystery about it. But it's great news we can now say where it is. Sea War Museum Jutland director Gert Norman Anderson said to the local, the ship was en route from... Oh my goodness. <laughs> Some place. Yeah. Well, and you look at the from and the two. It's they're the same they're almost exactly the same letters. They just jumbled them up. Uh so from town F to town F in Norway with 832 people on board when there was a huge explosion causing the ship to rapidly sink, killing 333 people. British information said the ship was sunk by a torpedo from the HMS Sturgeon. But Germany erected, rejected this and said it was sunk by a mine or due to sabotage. Well, hopefully they'll they'll have some photos soon so we can see uh, what it looks like on the bottom. That's the 1941, correct? Yes. Did, did you click on the link that says full story, local Denmark? No, I didn't see that. Oh, there, uh, okay. If you go to that, it takes you to another picture of it and some more information. But go to the bottom of that one. Then it talks about the, the German submarine they found there also. Well, they, that's a better story than the boat. I mean, I mean, I like seeing a good boat, but a submarine. Yeah. Well, my internet, it's probably never going to come up. The remains of a submarine, which is at the cutting edge of marine technology at the time, was found as part of the Sea War Museum, Jutland's work to find and map wreckage in the North Sea. The German new boat, U-3523, was sunk by a B-24 Liberator bomber, May 6, 1945, day after Allied forces liberated Denmark from occupation. This was a very special U-boat. It was the most modern submarine the Germans built during the Second World War. It was highly modern and well ahead of its time. Only two of the 118 that were ordered actually entered service. Uh, that's not a good ratio. They'd get, no, they didn't. They, at the end of the war, exciting subs built. Yeah. And they only got two done before the end of the war for Probably pretty fortunate for us. It was in anyway, the wreckage is nine miles from where they thought it was, so I might have got a little propulsion before it did that. But the pictures are pretty good. I love it. Well, I've bookmarked this so I can go back and take a look. Right now I just have a little spinning wheel telling me that eventually it will see the article. Continue to that when you go to the end of the story. There's another one that's talking about an unexpected discovery plane that crashed, and it, they, they really do link some interesting items. Yeah, they saw you coming. They got them all linked together. You'll never get out of that and website. What don't you like? Yeah. 
Well, that does it for scuba in the news. Let's see. I I have not had any recent diving, but we are coming up on uh, some opportunities to dive. I know, Jim, you, you were up uh, north. How did that end up going? Uh, I, we may have lost him. Do I still have you, Mac? You still have me. <laughs> I can hear him breathing a moment ago. Yeah, he, he may have to stop and take care of something. So either that or he's muted. I looked at the uh, Facebook postings, and I know he did a good little bit of diving, but um, he really was uh, doing the mentor trip. He was helping people who hadn't dove a lot. I believe Aaron got some really nice dives, plus a lot of boat time. I think he basically were, you're the captain of the vessel. Let's get some run time and some experience under the under the wheel. So I think she had a great time. And I understand that uh, the setup they had at the house was really nice. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Uh, and for those who I don't know if that that episode might not have might have been the one we lost, uh, but they had rented a house. Karen had organized the you know kind of an Airbnb type of situation, and they had plenty of room. Uh, they could have taken a few more people, and that is much more economical than you know everybody two to a, two to a room renting a, a, a row of rooms. So. Now, hopefully, you know, one of these years, I'll be able to do it. It seems like that, that Labor Day weekend is a tough one, especially recently, to get away on. But uh, maybe this next year I might be able to. Uh, and then I saw that Kevin was doing uh, quite a bit of diving and museum visiting. Kevin could actually, I mean, if he just sat down and, like, hurt his leg or something during ski patrol activities this winter... He could sit down and get one book done already, which I'm sure he is thinking oh, yeah. about, which would be the shallow wrecks of the west side of Michigan, because he's gone out, looked for them, verified the coordinates, and when possible, taken pictures. So he could do nothing more than, say, get in shallow water from here to whatever, and he could do 10 to 15 ships. Absolutely. I mean, I have no doubt. And for some fledgling, you know, somebody starting out, that is ideal. Oh, you, yeah. get, you get to oh, you get to look at the bones, you get great lakes diving. All right, now he goes out to the bigger wrecks and deeper wrecks. So when you've got more experience, you know where to go. And that adds a lot of emphasis. I think when he starts discussing, you know, he's the uh, president of the South, Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve. By as much diving as he is doing, he is going to be in a much better position when he goes around talking to hopefully people who will donate money to the to the preserve, you start buoying wrecks like that, like that field of dreams, build it and they will come. Yeah. Buoying the wrecks in the areas and, and providing better wrecks. And you're going to make, meaning the, the company, the, um, the city around it is going to make money. Yeah. That, divers will go there. Yeah. That, then that's one of our tasks uh, with the preserve this year. It's got to be just to be able to uh, highlight the benefits of, uh, of supporting these preserves. The preserve, I know, like Sweeney and um, Nabo- uh, John Deboda, uh-huh. and the break wall again. That's a great dive. And if you're a fledgling diver again, you're talking under 40 feet. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Right? Parts and pieces all over. And then you yep. go to the sea wall, that's 30-something feet down, and you've got three different layers of fish. It's, it's really great. Yeah. Jim, I think you're back, aren't you? I'll let I'm you back. take back over. Yeah, we, we were just uh, wondering how your dives up north had gone. Oh, I'm sorry. I battery died on the computer. I had to go plug in. Um, 
They went very well. Uh, we went up to Thunder Bay Marine National Marine Sanctuary, which is located in and around Alpena, Michigan. And we dove out of Alpena. Um, we hit the, let's see, the Flint, which is in about 40 feet of water. And that's just a steam barge, um, you know, as a warm-up. Then went out to the Montana, which is in about 60 feet of water. The Montana was a steamer. It has a huge boiler. The boiler is probably 30 feet in diameter. Uh, just massive, massive boiler. And then there's a uh, double or triple expansion engine that's at least three stories high. In fact, it's taller than the boiler that's sitting there. And that's just incredible to, uh, to see, along with the prop um, partially exposed in the sand. So that was in 60 feet. Uh, went out, trying to think what else we hit. Hit the Grecian, which is a steel freighter, uh, broken half. So we dove the bow and stern both sections of the Grecian. And that was in about 100 feet. And then the E.B. Allen, which was a uh, three-masted schooner, uh, that's in about 110 feet. And I remember the E.B. Allen because that's the first place that I saw a dead eye in the water on a ship. And, you know, for the, I think we've talked about it before, but a dead eye is that rigging that uh, would tie the mast and the lines coming down from the mast to the ship. And it's got three holes in it where they would run lines back and forth. And there's what they call the live side and the running rigging, which is uh, coming off the top of the mast and the standing rigging, which would come up off the side of the ship. And between those two dead eyes, one for the running, one for the standing, they would string a line back and forth, and that's how they could tension the rig to keep the mast straight. So, Parent and I were diving those, and Ted came up, and he got a chance to dive them, and uh, it was just a nice trip. We had a very interesting visibility. Uh, Thunder Bay is formed by a point that runs east into Lake Huron. And so the wind was out of the south most of the week. So a lot of the current would get hit by the point and then it would get kind of rolled in because the point actually goes east and then turns south a little bit. So the current would get rolled into Thunder Bay. So the visibility inside the point was not the greatest. Yeah, 20 feet, 30 feet, somewhere in that range. We hit the... Grecian and the Allen, which were out beyond the point, and we could see the Grecian from 40 feet, and it was sitting, you know, in 100 feet of water, so we had at least 40 to 50 feet of, of visibility uh, going down on both the Grecian and the Allen. Just fantastic crystal clear water out there. So I was just sitting here as, you know, you guys were going through the stories and news. I was editing some videos that I hope to be able to show next week at the Mud Club meeting. So I got video of Ted. I've got video of Karen. And uh, it was just a, a very fun, relaxing week. I think uh, next year, my preference would be to go back up to the Straits of Mackinac. I just love the Straits and the wrecks that are up there. But Thunder Bay um, 
if you're not from this area, diving the Straits of Mackinac or diving Thunder Bay or diving Tobamori, Canada, uh, are worth the trip to Michigan to come and dive. At you know, it, it's very clear water, uh, cold water. Temperatures are in the low to mid 40s on these wrecks, but with that cold water comes the clarity. And it's the only place in the world you're going to find wooden shipwrecks sitting on the bottom with the mast still standing in them. It's just incredible. Ships from the mid 1800s, a lot of uh, a lot of shipwrecks from Civil War era, and then you know the time of the wooden ships and iron men of the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s. Plus, ships as late as 18, you know, 1960. Uh, you've got. Uh, very close to the Mackinac Bridge, up in the Straits of Mackinac, the uh, Cedarville, um, which is a fantastic wreck at a, about 110 feet to the sand, and the wreck's almost upside down. A big ore carrier that's split in half now, just about split in half. And so the bow is almost completely upside down, and the stern's lying at about, I'm going to say a 60-degree angle, inverted, so you've got to go over the hull uh, and drop down to the decks, and the decks are kind of upside down, laying on the angle there. So that's a great, interesting wreck. But can't say enough about Michigan shipwrecks. Yeah, I, I agree. I, last time I was up at the Straits, which has been a few years, those are some beautiful wrecks. I enjoy diving the ones that we've got down here, but uh, th- those are definitely in much better shape and, m- and more together. And the visibility, uh, well, not always better. It seems to be on average a little bit better as well. Yeah, the last couple of years, the visibility in the Straits of Michigan and Lake Michigan, northern Lake Michigan, has been better than up in Lake Superior. And they've always raved about how clear the water is in Lake Superior, but we had better visibility in Lake Michigan the last couple of years. And uh, we always, as a group, go up around Labor Day. Uh, there's usually room on the boats for anyone who would like to join us. So, you know, it's a open invitation. Just be prepared for uh, um, most of the wrecks are, are what I'm going to call swim through. You've got plenty of ambient light. You've got uh, the decking missing or you've got huge uh, openings in the deck that you can easily swim through. Uh, there are some wrecks that are true penetration wrecks uh, where you're going to want a line and a couple of lights and proper training and know what you're doing. Uh, And it is, I can't emphasize enough, cold water, which is a lot different than, you know, cave diving in Florida. But many of the skills carry from one to the other as far as not silting it up and having good lights and good buoyancy control and, you know, being prepared to do decompression. Not required, but you should be prepared for it. Very cool. And as we're talking about people diving, I saw that uh, John was over at White Star doing some rebreather training. Yeah, I think he's finally getting to the dark side with his rebreather, getting his training that he's long anticipated. Yeah. So that brings what the uh, club rebreather count up to three now? Yeah. Three active. Yeah, three active rebreather divers. So. Well, Mac, they start placing the anchors on the wrecks for the preserve. Oh, have they? I said that no, would come in handy when they do that. Oh, okay. It, it could. The only problem is with the rebreather, you've really got to be careful about 
building too much carbon dioxide. Yeah. Putting more carbon dioxide into your rebreather than it can scrub out at one time. Yeah, try not to overexert yourself, especially yeah. if you if you haven't been doing that with your rebreather. Yeah, hopefully, I mean, the preserve's been working on getting our first Rex buoyed. Uh, hopefully, we can get some yet this season. I know that they got uh, uh, several wrecks approved by the Coast Guard. Now it's just a matter of uh, getting all the logistics, everything together, including the funding to get them well, in place. If we, if we can get the anchors on the Havana, we've got a lot of, I won't say it's completely done, but we've got a lot of the pieces uh, yeah. ready to go in place or you know, temporarily out yep. there. It won't take a whole lot to make that a a little compliant wreck. Yeah, mooring. I, I agree. Uh, we I certainly hope we can get at least one done this season. That will give us some yeah. momentum going into the winter, and then we can get a nice plan. It'd be nice next year to to step it up a little bit, and if we provided again the fundings there, maybe a a wreck a month could get buoyed. Plus, you you reset the wrecks uh, buoys on the the wrecks you did the year before. Yeah. Uh, Mac, do you have a, a safety tip of the week? Well, I have one. It could be a little long. It's called uh, 10 Scuba Diving Safety Rules for Avoiding Emergencies. No, let's let's go for it. And if we get too winded, we'll stop. Uh, rule number one, and it really should be, is good overall fitness. Out several studies have indicated 20 to 35% of all scuba fatalities result from heart and circulatory problems style and medical conditions set the stage while the mental and physical stresses of diving trigger the event, usually in middle-aged men. There's in or underwater, it is usually fatal and often listed as a drowning. Therefore, other fitness concerns include recent illnesses, cold and fatigue, and alcohol and respiratory problems, including smoking. So the keys to fitness are clear, eat well, get rest, avoid stress and harmful habits. Easy to say, tough to do. However, it's not all divers, especially middle-aged men, to have a regular um, to determine whether they're fit for the stresses of diving. Therefore, that small investment of time and money required for an annual physical, yourself and anyone else who cares about you and could you know, could prevent as many as one-third of all scuba diving fatalities. But with that one, and we'll pick up with the other ones later. Excellent. Oh, let's see. Is there... Anybody have anything they want to plug before we hit the end of the show? Well, you want to hit down the Wolves uh, Saturday, isn't that right, Jim? Well, if you're in the area, there is the uh, flea market in the big blue building where we do winter storage. That's going on this weekend. Um, there's usually some good bargains at the flea market. It's uh, rent a table for 20 bucks and sell whatever you want that's uh, water-related. And then while that's going on, if you can't find your bargains in the flea market, uh, I'm having a red tag sale in the dive shop to move some of the used gear that we've collected this year. And that'll be 10 to 25% off of the already discounted price. And we'll have a few other specials in there, like the spring fins that we picked up as a bargain and passing on to customers. So... If you're in the area, stop by and say hi and spend a little money with us. If you're looking for a second set of fins, uh, those that Jim are talking about with the springs on them, those are really, really nice. So you might want to take a look at them. Even if you do already have fins, get you a backup pair. 
following week, we've got the Ecology Dive that's going to be held in Niles at the uh, Riverview Park. So come on out, and even if you're not going to be diving, sure support. And if you want to do embankment, you know, hunting, meaning looking for trash on the embankment or weeding, come on down and uh, help us out and help out the cleaning up the river. Certainly. I mean, the, the more help we have, the more we can pull out and – Everybody seems to have a good time that day. I, I can't remember an, an instance where everybody didn't enjoy themselves. They're shine other than lightning. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, and I think we've already ordered the nice weather, so we should be covered. Well, I think we are to that time of the show. Are you both ready? Comments uh, that uh, somebody has posted about they like to have that warning horn or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah why don't we quick, <laughs> we quick cover that? I... I saw that, and I was thinking, oh, we'll have to see. So this one was from uh, Gene S., and he said, uh, I wonder if you would know what these are. Maybe the big one is what a pier used to be, and I forward those to uh, both of you guys. And yeah, I, I saw them. And I, and I actually went on Google Earth to see if I could see them, and they looked different on the map there. So I think it would be interesting to cross-reference this same location, but I the way this is perfectly straight, it seemed to be maybe more than a pier. Is it possible that was a, is an old water intake? I'm not sure of the location. I was going to look at it a little more. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's a, a definitely a straight line there, which could have been a pier, could have been pilings, or may just be a rock wall. Uh, it's uh, used as a breakwater that is now submerged. Okay. We've got a few of those up in uh, in Sheboygan that we've run across. Yeah, because you can see the the way the shadow, especially in this one, this one's clearer than the one on Google Earth. So that would make sense if it was like a, a rock wall, and then the discoloring would just be the little bit of the you know the shadow caused by the, the sand. Sometimes go back. When our local pilot is flying, we'll have to see if he uh, wants to do a little cross-country trip. We'll go up and take some photos. That when we have done the coasties looking for wreck stuff, mm-hmm. and we have found that a lot of those are remnants of uh, around our area from erosion. So people have put structures out. But if you go to the old, old plot maps ah. of 1850s, 1860s, when they were doing a lot of lumbering, Mm-hmm. Tremendous, and I do mean tremendous number of piers that were generated that went out up to quarter mile from many, many areas on the beaches. Mm-hmm. And when they timbered it, they stayed there, and they just got washed down, washed over, and sand encroached. Bizarre. Uh-huh. There were remnants of old dockings and piers. And where you had that old piers is a good place to dive and do some metal detecting because... Where there was piers, there was chain. Where there was chain, there was tools. And where there were tools, there were people, which means probably clay pipes. Right, Mac? Oh, anytime you're out there and you find a pole or a post, you always dig around that item because that's when you're going to find something. And we've been up in up in the Sheboygan area. You're out there and you look and it's like, what is that pile of charcoal doing out here? Yeah. Well, that's usually the remnants of a, of a bucket, but they put all the coal and stuff in. Yeah. Like you said, pipe charts, items like this, little whiskey bottles, medicine bottles. Mm-hmm. They got thrown in the ash bucket and dumped in the, dumped off the pier. 
you were at home, you put them in the privy, and then you covered them over with ashes and stuff like this to get the odor down. Ah. Well, they didn't have to privy. They just tossed it in the water. You mean that that pail with charcoal in it that I was digging through for anything was p- full of poop? Only if that it was, was in the ground. Of, yeah. Yeah, if it's in the water, it wasn't the poop. Oh, okay. Yeah, cause and last, it's fish poop, so don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Because last, last time I was up in Sheboygan, there was a, a bucket that had, the you know, top half had corroded, but it was full of mm-hmm. ash. Mm-hmm. There are always, uh, you know, you find one of those, your heart starts beating a little bit faster. Yeah. Well, then uh, he, he said at the end, he says, I love the show. I'm up to episode 114. So he's got quite a ways to go. So <laughs> there'll be a while before he hears this one. But like you said, Mac, his request was, can you bring back the warning horn before the joke of the day? <laughs> Maybe we need to do like a like a vote with uh, Patreon dollars. You know, we, uh, we could set up two different options for uh, similar amounts and whichever one got the more options would be what it would do. Because I didn't mind putting it in. I kind of enjoyed it. But I kept hearing the complaints from people who were driving in traffic thinking a semi was a, about to run them over. <laughs> So uh, we we did intentionally stop that, uh, but I'm I'm not against putting it back in. One that's not quite as uh, aggressive to your senses. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll we'll find one something like a like a little uh, clown horn here here. Uh so I I so are we ready now or did I do I have anything else I forgot? I think that's it. Okay, so I, I've got a whole bunch of jokes all simmering so this this we'll go with this first one i think this this one is uh about ready checking the menu a restaurant customer ordered a bowl of vegetable soup after a couple spoonfuls he saw circles of wetness right under the bowl and the tablecloth he called the waitress over and said it's all wet down here the bowl must be cracked the waitress said no uh, you ordered the vegetable soup it must have a leak in it <laughs> Or at least it wasn't the peas. Yes, it's true. Ooh. I think we need a new one or another one. You, you, you another one there? Do you have another one? Well, here's one. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you may have to explain it to me because I'm not quite sure if I get it. Uh, a woman's garden is growing beautifully, but the darn tomatoes won't ripen. There's a limit to the number of uses for green tomatoes, and she's getting tired of it. So she goes to her neighbors and said, "Your your tomatoes are ripe. Mine are green. What can I do about it?" Her neighbor replies, well, it may sound a little absurd, but here's what you do. Tonight, there's a, there's no moon. After dark, go out in your garden, take off all your clothes. Tomatoes can see in the dark, and they'll be embarrassed, and they'll blush. And in the morning, they'll be red. You'll see. Well, what the heck? She went and did it. The next day, her neighbor asks, well, how'd it work? So-so, she answers. The, the tomatoes are still green, but the cucumbers are all four inches longer. I didn't get it. <laughs> Not, see, I, I wasn't quite sure. I was just, you know, maybe she's going to pickle something. Or... I don't know. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no cucumbers were harmed, used, or abused in the making of tonight's show. But I'll bet the tomato lady thought about it. Mm-hmm.